It was astonishing. So wild to me. The amount we achieved every week was insane. Can you keep challenging me? There's lots of things there. And progress for me is the unfolding of human character. That's when our classrooms become magical. Welcome to the No Wasted Days podcast, a show centered solely on helping people improve their self-awareness and self-assurance by sharing skills, stories, and strategies from a diverse range of people that can be easily applied or explored on a day-to-day basis. The mission of No Wasted Days is to unconditionally support people with being alive. The lives we all lead are these incredibly fortuitous things, but that doesn't stop them from becoming very complicated and confusing. As a result, there is nothing that should be more readily available to all of us than spaces that can help us think more clearly and easily about ourselves. With this mission in mind, No Wasted Days is building a bank of information, unique digital tools and interactive experiences that can help anyone become more self-aware and more self-assured at a cost they completely control. With all of this being true, and without any further ado, today's guests are two amazingly capable performers and teachers, a rare combination, who exists in the worlds of classical music and classroom teaching. There could hardly be two better people to explore how the art of learning and performing music can support your self-awareness and self-assurance, whether you consider yourself to be a perfect pianist, a virtuosic violinist, or someone who wouldn't know one end of an oboe from the other. In no particular order, it is my pleasure to introduce Matt and Rachel. Hi! Hey. <laughs> there we go. Perfect. Great, um, great, great alliteration as well. I thought I thought you'd appreciate that. Um, and I'm amazed I got through the word virtuosic <laughs> without, <laughs> without stumbling over it. Um, but yeah, no, all true, importantly as well. Um, so yeah, we will kick off the pod with what is becoming the traditional first question. So I've shared with Matt and Rachel um, this matrix where on one axis, it's from zero self-awareness to full self-awareness and the other it's from zero self-assurance to complete self-assurance. Where do you think you sit at this moment in time? And how do you think that's evolved over over time? Um, Whoever wants to tackle it. Feel free to go. I mean, first. I'm happy to go. I think this is a, a fantastically um, confronting model, actually, because <laughs> um, the two things are so, for me, are so vastly different. Um, my self assurance is low, I would say, um, in that I feel incredibly unassured about who I am <laughs> and what I do. But I'm, I think self-awareness, I think, is quite high. And I think that I, I see that as a constant challenge in my work and in my life to, consider, to constantly evaluate that and constantly challenge myself to look into the things that I perhaps am not aware of. I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, there's this model about what you know and what you don't know and what you don't know, you don't know. <laughs> and it's that kind of like massive, vast, <laughs> bit that fascinates me and you know and I was I was having a conversation just yesterday with a friend who has inadvertently become my mentor and I said can you keep challenging me keep telling me when I'm you know haven't got my feet on the ground keep challenging me when my awareness has gone to a different place or you know I'm not grounded in the stuff that's important and keeps my eyes open and my ears listening and um 
my heart opened to what I'm doing, especially when we're working with, you know, children and, and colleagues, um, it's really important to have great self-awareness um, in order to become not only better at my job, but also be a better colleague, be a better friend. Um, but assurance is a very different one. I feel like I don't know so much about that one. I don't know, what about you, uh Matt, sorry, just before, just so I can cut you off, um, <laughs> in, in bad podcast etiquette form, I think the, that response from Rachel was fabulously honest and interesting. And I wondered, the thing I scribbled down was like, do you see them as a little bit of a zero-sum game where the more self-aware you become, perhaps the less self-assured you are, uh, or vice versa? Like, do, do you, or do you think self-assurance is really dependent on a lack of self-awareness? <laughs> you know, it's, is that how you see it? Yeah, for sure. And I think that my um, vision of self-assurance is clouded by the word ego and is clouded by the word um, blindness, a, a certain, um, yeah, an arrogance and yeah. an unawareness. And I, I find that really difficult. And I never want to be in a place where I'm self-assured because I think self-assurance for me, and I'm not saying that this is what the word means, but self-assurance for me means I've stopped learning something. I've stopped being present. I've stopped being inquisitive. Yeah, and I think that's a cultural trapping that we're going to run into in this kind of mission that No Wasted Days is on, that if you say to 100 people what is self-assurance, they'll come up with some kind of like self-esteem kind of type A, you know, attitude yeah. or confidence or, you know, this braggadocious, braggadociousness, this, this kind of like masculine weird stuff versus when actually it, it should be a far more personal contentment you know, understanding my frailties and my, you know, my positive qualities and being okay with that. Like this far more kind of contented Zen-like thing versus this kind of weird uh, overconfidence thing. Yeah, it's an, no, it's, a, it. it's an absolute balance to be searched for. And I think, like you said, what happens is your work gets um, validated, right? And you as a person get validated for doing something well. But then at the same time, the fear for me kicks in and I get incredibly anxious and worried that I become big headed or that my self-assurance comes across as arrogance or. Um, and then I think, oh, I don't want to be one of those people that has no insight into who they are and what they are actually capable of. That theme as well has come up in, in the first two episodes, this idea of how do you separate yourself from the work? or the performance or whatever the aspect is, because it's it's such a challenge. Because when you receive that positive feedback, those affirmations about your teaching or of your, you know, your concert or your performance or one thing, it's so difficult not to just then stick it in this big bucket of, oh, oh that's me. They're complimenting me. It's about myself versus just my condition or my performance. And, it, and it's a bit of a mental kind of juggling act to try and separate the two. But I don't, they, that will be one of the most essential things that, or problems I'm trying to solve here from these conversations and from my thinking about the conversations and the tools we create is that how do you help someone do that? Because that is so critical. It's, it's so possible to give an incredible performance, to accept the praise, but not have this kind of, carry over into this weird sense of yourself um but before we run down too many um holes matt where do you think your self-assurance and self-awareness is how do you think it's kind of shaped up and moved 
I was just really settling into you two doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Richard and Rachel podcast. That's right. Yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm used to it. It's like every training session. <laughs> um, no, I think I'd agree with Rachel on the self-aware thing. Um, would consider myself fairly self-aware. And I think we, we need to be pretty self-aware um, in our job, um, understanding how our behavior is affecting other people in the room or, you know, changing the lesson plan as it goes or you know managing your own emotions um that sort of side of things so i'd say hopefully fairly you know medium to high there and then self-assured it's yeah the definition of it is matters a whole lot in how you answer the question right so do you as as this host want people to have their own definition or would you rather it's your definition that they then answer from so that you get a similar sort of set of answers because I, I think for the, for the conversation i'm happy for people to adopt their own uh, definition because then we can unpick and unpack how they've come to that definition themselves and how healthy or relevant that really is um you know yeah. so i don't know if, if your own definition came to mind um Thing. would it say is, is it the same rituals like this kind of like very self-absorbed you know confidence or is it a more kind of mindful content piece like we just discussed in your eyes yeah i guess it's it's sort of for me is it is it maybe being confident in your your abilities um without it tipping over into that arrogance no i was just going to say i've literally just written down ensuring that ensure ensuring that assurance is an infinite thing and is never complete would make would would be satisfying for me right so th there is a there's an assurance that gives you a certain amount of confidence in your abilities to deliver something but is infinite and never stops and i think that yeah. the that a lot like a massive problem in politics and education and everything that people and humans do is that they hit an assurance level which means they stop listening and they stop being insightful and they stop being inquisitive you know of the world around them and then we have a problem and I think it's that seeing that and being fearful of becoming that that makes me fearful of self-assurance society inculcates us with fear and anxiety so therefore when you reach a stage where you can kind of remove it to some degree by having a certain status or role or whatever then that comes you know you don't feel inspired or obligated to learn and grow when actually to Rachel's point you can never be so ensured that you stop being a student you stop feeling like you can learn and grow because a that's key to a lot of your contentment and joy um and also it's a it's kind of a fallacy you know you just you reach a certain point and then you stop well why why ever stop you yeah. know because there's always more you can grow you can always you know learn something new or be more wise be more calm you know this this is a perennial journey from day one to the last well rach what's your is it your quote don't let becoming a teacher stop you Oh, yeah. No. Someone, yeah. you know, that's that's social media gold. That is, <laughs> that's that's going on a kind of quote tile. I'm sure you've shared this a million times yourself. It's a pretty good quote. I think it's on a notebook. Got... You got the notebook, Rach. I'm I'm not any on any of these notebooks. <laughs> oh, hello! Stop it! Look at this, oh. immortalized in notebook form. Yeah, 
I'm pretty sure I stole it, so let's not talk about it too much. But um, <laughs> can I can I say something that is not meant to be arrogant, but is going yeah. to like for me sums this whole thing up is that um, I, rec I recently got given an award, okay, for my work in teaching. And it has caused me more anxiety than it has caused me joy. And I'm really like, I'm thrilled about it. And it's, you know, it's great. And it's, you know, it's a great accolade. But it, I was t saying to my mum, it has made me really anxious because the expectation of me now is slightly different. And I'm worried that I don't live up to the expectation of who I am possibly, or what people expect me to do or be. And also I don't want people to think I'm self-assured. Um, yeah, but this, this is a hugely, hugely interesting point is what have other people's expectations got to do with anything? You know, you've earned that award presumably on the basis of delivering quality teaching over a long period of time and that's that's expectation external that that's just you being a teacher in a moment with kids in a class or doing whatever you know you earn the award for you know but it's interesting isn't it how much that then claims your yeah it becomes it becomes you know this is who i am rachel so and so a winner of such such award you know versus a human being and teacher and music person rachel you know it becomes a label versus a anything more useful than that yeah it makes me want to go actually i'd rather have none of it and then the expectations don't change and then i don't have to be anything i don't have to live up to anything and i don't and then i'm, I'm just me again and you know i would for, for example i would hate to be famous well, yeah. without wanting to turn this into an accidental therapy session, what would yeah. you what would you recommend to somebody who is in the same predicament as you? It's like slightly overcome or perturbed by the fact they got this award, and you know, were wondering about what that meant for them in in, in terms of expectations or you know their role or whatever. What would you say to that person about how they should deal with that problem? Just do what you do. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, and, and yeah. This makes me think of a quote like Matt um gave me a book or we were both reading a book at a certain time that suzuki book matt nurtured by love yeah nurtured by love amazing yeah, you, amazing you only book. read it on the toilet in five minute bursts yeah exactly <laughs> but because of my bowels you know i got through it quite quickly really good book and something <laughs> something that this um suzuki you know uh, uh, matt you're the expert on this so uh, apologies if i'm butchering it but this, this Suzuki violin teacher, one of the things he said to a student at one time, you know, who was worrying about kind of expectations or having some performance anxiety was it's just you and the chanson, you know, which I think is a bad way of pronouncing French or whatever for song. It's just like, yeah. is that right? Uh, good. Um, it's just you and the song. And I think about that constantly. You know, whenever I'm getting a bit caught up, you know, in my kind of career and life with, you know, meetings or, you know, you've got to speak to someone who's got such and such a role or, you know, you're, you're paid a lot of money to do some work. Every time, every moment you're ever in is just you and the chanson. So it doesn't matter what the expectations are. I need to control my mind and my delivery as best as I can. And the results and the outcome will be what they are. 
you know I'm, and i'm confident enough that they will be you know beyond beyond the the minimum threshold for what someone's asked for but it's just you and the shonson every time you know and that's sort of what you, you're saying by just do what you do you know it's, it's the same insight but just delivered differently no and it's really true and that by the way nurtured by love everyone should read that as a staple in everyone's life and reading but um the the other thing is that to say that to myself okay just do just do your job or Matt you know just do our job and um, we've spoken about this haven't we Matt there's that balance again of not being too self-assured and forgetting who you are and not forgetting to continue to open your eyes like it doesn't yeah well I, I was going to say that I think you know in the first good five six years that I was at you know teaching in primary schools I was confident but not self-assured in in terms of the meaning of not very open um you know it maybe served me fine then was just cracking on and and doing my own thing but i think rach certainly through our conversations in the last five years maybe since covid even more uh just a lot more confident in what i do know but very aware of what i don't know and very excited to to learn new things um uh, but that's a really interesting point in and of itself though because to what degree is that necessary if you're if you're trying to push the the envelope push the boundaries of what you're capable of doing in a new setting or in a new way do you have to kind of affect a certain persona a certain confidence a certain you know identity to do something and then the self-assurance self-awareness comes later is that uh, i say that in a little bit of a devil's advocate way because i'm sure you can avoid doing it but for most people, isn't that a relatively healthy, sound tactic or is, you know? Yeah, well, as long as it, it doesn't stop you from from doing some, you know, self critiquing of whether you're yeah. actually. So as long as it doesn't become <laughs> your norm, doing a good job, you, you stop becoming present. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we live in a, a pretty terrible time for just everyone getting praise for everything that they do from people that don't know whether something's deserving of praise or not or just because they want to be seen to be giving people praise publicly on instagram on facebook everybody liking this writing underneath things oh that was amazing yeah. you're so skilled at this and when it's not the case although you know people can have their opinions um but that if you're confident but not self assured or self-aware then you might take that all that praise and just go i'm smashing it um yeah. and and might not be doing a good job and and the people who gave you praise weren't remotely interested in whether you were actually doing a good job or they're the effects of that sort of fake praise um so i think it's re it's really complicated these days um so you really do need need people around you that you can trust to have those more serious discussions where you're honest with each other and be like i was really rubbish at this today and they go yeah i, I was rubbish yesterday tomorrow's a different day have yeah. you seen this have you read this or oh, this this teaching activity worked for me today or it's worked all week and you know why don't you give it a try um and that yeah. certainly wasn't, i certainly wasn't doing that for the first few years um yeah well, it's, it's another classic bind where people aren't great as a rule at interrogating the interrogating the outcomes of their you know jobs or lives or whatever 
you know, because they're always inherently quite complex. But if you're not very good at doing it or you're not self-assured enough to concede that there might have been some component that wasn't perfect, you're you're just, you know, you'll feed in all of those social media comments that you were great and you'll use this to perpetuate some kind of sense of yourself when actually every time you've delivered an outcome, there's things that you've controlled well, there's things that you've controlled badly, there was things external that affected it badly and there was things external that affected it positively. That's true every single time but we rarely apply that kind of framework, you know, as individuals or have the prescience and wisdom of other people to apply it on our behalf. You know, it's, it's usually quickly labeling whether something was good or bad, at mm. best a few kind of ad hoc, you know, little recommendations and then that's kind of it. And even that doesn't happen a lot of the time when things have gone well, when actually when things go well, you can be presented with certain problems, a bit like your award, Rachel, you could probably have done with breaking down the kind of, Okay, I've won this award. What is this outcome? How do I put it into those buckets? Even though on a superficial level, it's a big tick and a success when actually it's presented mm. a few challenges. Rich, all that you're saying in terms of you know self-reflection and insight after doing something and, and and you know asking those questions, I think for me and Matt, forgive me if I'm wrong, Matt, here, but we are, you know, the issues of self-assurance and self-reflection and insight and all of those things, we are inevitably impacting and having an effect on children and that's that's where those particular topics become like this isn't just about me or Matt this is about the entire community that we're working within so the impact of our self-assurance impact of our self-reflection is massive and you know we are modeling you know we are trying to model what it is to be a decent human being to the young people we're working with and therefore it's a really serious thing and I think we in our in our careers and in our workspace, it might be something that we do more than others do because of the responsibility that we both take incredibly seriously. Um, because at the end of the day, if, if my self-assurance is so much that I stop looking, the children miss out. And then that is where I just draw a line. And I know Matt draws a line because actually it's not about me or him. It's about the kids. So that's yeah. why this like, is massive. Yeah, I wrote that down as a kind of like, you know, Matt and Rachel specific question. So how much of your role as teachers do you think is about making the children self-assured or self-aware? Is that actually a more macro, larger priority than the, you know, the the violin piece? You know, always would you see self-assurance and self-awareness as perhaps the key condition to being a great learner, you know, and therefore instilling that into the kids is is, you know, paramount. Is that, do you at all think of the, in, your role in that way? I guess it's different, I mean, different with different age groups. Um, there's lots of things there that maybe feed into self-assurance, self-awareness, you know, resilience, um, understanding sort of longer term gratification and yeah. discipline and good listening skills and, you know, but also working with community and empathy with other people in the room um so there's a, there's a lot of things in there um that will yeah. feed into all of that stuff so i wouldn't necessarily package it as we're focused on doing that yeah, but sure yeah but as, as rachel said perhaps the key mode through which to do that isn't what you say or any part of the lesson plan it's just what you demonstrate as a human being 
you know i would say though i would say for sure that music for, for for me certainly is secondary in what i'm trying to do like i really do talk on a regular basis about you know music is the vehicle in order to unfold the human beings in front of me right it's just the thing it's not teaching them the next piece is not really my job as such it's about teaching them aspects of resilience and empathy and all of those things that are involved in music making and music teaching um, that are ultimately going to give them self-assurance um, and insight and all of those things which of course are going to be more important for the world we're living in um, and that philosophy of reflection and insight that me and my you know me and Matt certainly really hold on to as colleagues um, and I, I rely on Matt massively um, in my job to keep that conversation going and I think you know when you're talking about tools to enhance those those aspects we're talking about it's the idea of reminding and being grounded in a philosophy that you believe in and you rely on and you really trust in it's it's witnessing people live and breathe that philosophy beyond yourself it's the use of questions um constantly like the use of questions in in our in our work is and, and for ourselves and with each other is a huge part of what we do um and staying connected with your colleagues is massive um so that we we never become like me and Matt constantly say god that lesson was rubbish that didn't work or and I'll say god I had this really tricky moment in my lesson today how would you have dealt with that do you have any ideas do you know the background of this student can you help me understand better how to deal with this you know those conversations are happening constantly yeah and we always joke but me and Matt have scheduled lunch breaks together in our timetable and it is probably the most impactful moment in the week because it's that kind of self-reflection you know chatting sharing questioning that is the gold dust for teachers really um and i, I don't take that lightly that's hugely important for me yeah, yeah. we've got matt sorry do you have something yeah well and, and we do it with the wider team as well and it's fascinating isn't it rach just to have that time with those people um, and I think it means a great deal to them as well, especially for, for some who've like just joined the team to come in and see the, the way that we're talking about things over lunch and how seriously we take it, but how kind we are to each other about letting go of, of bad lessons and resetting for the next day. And um, yeah, it's, it's super important. Yeah. And the you know the questions the continual improvement please there was so much about those two comments which are fascinating the one i want to touch on is the idea that of just how rare it is perhaps in society to speak to people that would prioritize something that wasn't really obviously the main goal you know for, for, you ask anybody what a music teacher is built to do they're going to say it's something about teaching the music they're not going to say there's this a kind of high level kind of primary goal which actually is the thing that if you get moving, you know, the the apparently primary goal is achieved more successfully or more holistically. You know, that's so rare. And, you know, Matt, this is a reference that you might appreciate. Um, I, I think I listened to a talk at last year or so by a restaurateur called Danny Meyer, who has a, a series Shake of famous. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, yeah, Shake Shack, but a load, a load of other um, kind of good restaurants as well. Um, and he... I can't I'm going to butcher what he said but he put the the values and the uh, well-being of the staff as his primary thing when actually you know it's a similar dynamic you'd think a restaurateur would be obsessed solely about the food 
but he knows that for the environment he wants to create, how those people feel and how they act is the key condition to success. You know, the food will, will kind of come together and happen. You can focus on that very, you know, minutely and specifically as well. But there is no condition greater than the well-being and, you know, a communication ability and the, the collaboration of the staff. And it's the same same dynamic. But this is this is rare. This is sadly rare because most leaders in most spaces are obsessed by measurable goals, you know, certain economic objectives when actually you can succeed on those grounds, but also you can fail dramatically on those grounds. You can fail people by just focusing on those grounds when actually you shouldn't have to. You should never have to fail people. This is the whole this is the whole problem in society is that people are information obsessed, but they're not um, personality curious. <laughs> so, you know, people will say to me all the freaking time, how do you teach shifting? How do you teach vibrato? And I'm like, that is not your problem. Like the information in itself, sure, we all need a certain amount of information, yeah. but focus more on who you are, focus on more of your delivery, focus on the environment that you're creating for the students that walk into your room, focus on nurture, focus on the loving place to learn, and then everything happens. Everything is easy. What I'm doing is not magical. What Matt is not doing, what Matt is doing is not magical. It's just, I'm hoping that we work so hard on creating space for children to learn that it just happens. And it's not because me and Matt have any golden nuggets of wisdom to offer. It's just that we've created yeah. the Or you've said any words in a particular order that if only somebody said those words in the same order, it would come across in the same way. It's, mm -mm. Yeah, it's the environment you create. And yeah, I, again, I think there's a lack of awareness of that, you know, in in my quote unquote career, for example, you see a million instances of people who are technically capable being promoted to roles of that are more senior um, when actually, you know, yes, you need some technical ability to be able to advise and guide someone. But there are a million soft or emotional skills which are far more contingent on creating the environment that's conducive to success that have nothing to do with technical ability at all. Um, and, you know, again, that's a problem. Technical ability, uh, objectives, you know, numerical objectives, lovely and easy to measure, whereas someone's capacity to create that, you know, nurturing environment, very hard to measure. And even harder to prioritize if you were the person promoted on the technical level, because you're just going to self-select. You're going to you're going to go, oh, who's the next most technically able person than me? Oh, it's that person. You're not going to, you know, you know, reward those ultimately far more valuable skills. Well, I mean, the music and the music performer world is very tricky for that, for those reasons as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, scary young age, which is why things like exams come in and auditions and things that we as teachers all have to sort of get involved with because it's just the structure that we live in. Um, and it's very hard to sort of rip that up without something in its place. Um, but the alternative is very hard to, as you say, show with data all the skills that these people have beyond a score in a, in a music exam. Yeah. Which, as Rach and I know, depends on who marked it and one year's set of results are completely can't be compared to the year before because of the 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 quality of the marking so that they're, they're just they're not not very useful um maybe the journey to taking the exam is useful but um the result is often just totally random yeah well it's obviously it's sometimes mistaking just getting the end wrong 
you know there's nothing wrong with having a you know an examination program or a uh, you know a, a kind of scoring criteria of what perhaps represents a successful you know playing of a piece but if that is the ultimate end of everything then it's it's going to be relatively um, either destructive on a mental health basis or just shallow as an output and you know Mary and, and Maya touched upon this because they're both in the singing and performance space and yeah that fixation on the output yes ultimately there's five percent of those people that have gone through that whole thing which who um have contented careers or continue to enjoy music but also you kill the enthusiasm and energy of, of people's music practice by making it so fixated on that one thing and that seems to me a, you know you must see that all the time to some degree these precocious kids you might meet when they're six that have then had all of the joy of music batted out of them by 16, despite obviously your two's best intervention and steering, just because this this fixation on exam. I mean, I, I hope that Rachel and I don't do that very much. No, no, <laughs> but, I would say you're the antidote to that, obviously. Yeah, the, um, like, you know. But I, I, I think it's, I'm quite sad more when I meet people our age um, and you chat to them about, did you ever play an instrument? And they go, Oh, I got to grade seven, but I wasn't very good. And you're like, if you took a grade seven exam, you must have spent years of your life playing this instrument. Like that's not done in a in a year sort of thing. That's hours, decade probably. Uh, and they they seem to have no emotional connection, you know, other than like, oh, I was never very good. I just did it when I was a kid. Yeah. Like that's so wild to me that people spent that amount of time doing something music, which is really meant to be pretty fun you know and have come away with it with that feeling that they couldn't even they're like no I don't play anymore I was never very good but I, I did grade eight but it's, but it's again like we were saying it's that issue of um the focus being on outcome and not process and and I'm literally in the middle of writing a talk as we speak I'm writing a talk and I woke up in the middle of the night I know when I've had a rest okay because I wake up at 3am and I start writing things okay so this happened two nights ago and at 3am I wrote blind to authentic meaningful progress for me that is a massive problem in city life right when you're li you live in a competitive city and you know parents are and guardians are driven to get their child into the next big school the next you know the thing that that effectively shows progress now people can't see this but i'm doing inverted commas progress because progress for people is different is different and progress for me is the unfolding of human character is the unfolding of all of those magical and so important things that then just help create a wonderful musician like you don't need to think about an exam when yeah. those are your focus right so um, yeah. I'm trying to, but that's what I'm saying. My responsibility is to try and challenge and change that narrative is that what is progress? What does progress look like? Well, progress for me and what is important is this, this, and this, then the musical, you know, fluidity and the musical, um, standards just comes from that is born yeah. of that. There's some, something that comes to mind is on that general point. And I think it's really wise that you've said that, um, there's a famous football manager, um, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, called Brian Clough. Um, he managed Nottingham Forest, Derby, um, and probably another team that I'm about to forget. But 
when they Nottingham Forest won the European Cup, it was only then he it, it had dawned on him that they you know that was their focus and that they'd done that. He was so absorbed in creating the environment and instilling the processes that were conditions to doing that. It was only when they won he realised that that was what they were doing all the time, you know. And I, people, I think people forget that's the case. There's so many routes to improving someone's condition through good process or playful a playful mindset or having fun, and the condition will happen that you know as a result of that process and fun. What do you think stops people from taking that slightly more holistic mentality? I mean, because it's they think built into baked into society, isn't it? You know, just yeah. The but also, people. Sorry, people are in a hurry. People want it now. They don't want it tomorrow. They want it right now. And they have no idea other than what they know, like the indoctrination of society of how to get something. And it's like, I can buy this and I can get it today. And they fail to look at the fact that actually the more time spent at the beginning doing something properly will escalate and speed up the process in the end of the day. I'm reading this wonderful book about wonder. Right. And it's I, I talk about it all the time. It's about wonder and how we can stop this hyper, can't remember what she calls it, hyper something, hyper education, right? Hyper education is this superficial, like speeding and pushing children through process um, with, you know, the the idea of getting something at the end rather than letting them be wonder, you know, letting them wonder and letting them contemplate and letting them explore something properly and enjoying it. Um, at the expense of just achieving something superficially. Um, and, you know, we, we don't, I don't think people properly understand the damage that's being done by doing that. Yeah, yeah um, I, I completely agree. And, and Sam mentioned this whole thing in the first podcast as well, you know, and I think enough people understand it that, you know, a relaxed mindset, a playful mindset is actually an ultimately more conducive um, condition for performance than this kind of tense, um superficial you know apparently objective orientated you know thing but you know if you're stressed and fatigued and have some pressure on you from somebody else you're going to want to put out superficially that your one focus is the target that everybody has in mind you're not you don't have the space to entertain that there's a slightly better albeit indirect route of achieving that you know and the cost to people again to back to this kind of idea is too high you know, because yeah. people, teachers become anxious, students become anxious, and this creates, this just has a waterfall, <laughs> you know, people passing their anxiety and stress onto one another, and then you get epidemics of, you know, stress and depression and anxiety where we're at right now. Oh, uh, you know, I was going to say, I think there's also this, these sort of rushing through education or or other things you're saying, Rach, it's, there are these deadlines set of 18 is, yeah. is your A-levels, and you're probably done university by 21 and then stop learning or like it's it seems framed that way when you're a young person right you're like now I'm an adult and then then I go into the world and you know if age 16 to 21 weren't your best learning years you you're screwed um and for me some of those years I was in a really good like space to learn and others I wasn't and actually some of my best learning probably would have happened in my late 20s if there were if it was more normal to to put study in different points of your life um you know i i suddenly came to photography much later and might have wanted to do that more professionally like you know a proper um course on it 
um, uh, you know, or retake a language or all, all this sort of stuff. But we are sort of meant to be pretty finished by 21. And that's when people then go into the job world with with not self-assurance, but sort of fake they're they're pretending to be arrogant or pretending to be confident so that they can dive into these scary scary worlds with career paths and everything but you know what who's to say that anyone's ready at that point you're right and also there's like too much noise in the world there's too much noise so it's like i can't there's not enough quiet space and i'm talking metaphorically there's not enough quiet for us to sit back and just can't just be present in what we're doing as it is let alone decide how to be better or how to maybe go you know like Matt said go and do something that he's interested in because the noise is too is too is too much and I think guardians and parents are doing this with children right they're saying a parent said to me recently right my child is three um so what do you think they should do <laughs> and my response yeah. was I don't think they should do anything they should do yeah. what they want to do not what you or I want them to do what they want to do like why are you making these decisions for them they're so young like how are you going to sustain engagement if they don't want to do it so and and, and that conversation seems to me to start because of a couple of things we've already mentioned that parent you know is so scared by the idea that their their child isn't uh, by the time they hit 21 kind of functioning safe and secure and also that they are perhaps wanting to overcompensate for a lack of self-assurance and self-awareness on their own basis. So, you know, which of which apparently the magic golden bullet of that is if your child is successful, <laughs> you know, so therefore you're going to have weird conversations with music teachers when they're three that are kind of like outcome or, you know, obsessed with a certain set of activities versus letting that child play, use their imagination, some proper conditions for being a creative you know, satisfied, satisfied, contented person. I guess it's complicated for me and Rach because we do see guardians that support their kids a hell of a lot on their music journey, but they aren't necessarily giving their kids a lot of freedom um, to do anything else. And it's, you know, they can come across as, or they are being wonderful parents um, or guardians and and we love that they're putting so much time and effort into the thing that we are, you know, asking them to do. And we're like, look at this level of dedication. It's amazing. But at the same time, are they, are the kids really having a say in any of it? Do they know what the other options are? So it's, it's complicated. Yeah, but you must see that. You must see that constantly. And you probably, between the two of you, have a really interesting take on what that perfect balance is. Because, you know, it's not devolvable responsibility for decision making to children, but it's but it's not keep them in such tight train tracks and straight jackets and with such expectations that, you know, there's a, there's only one route or solution. Routine, boundaries and choice. It's but it's, that has to be boundaried. And I think that yeah. that's a big problem in society now is that people forget that freedom doesn't mean freedom without boundaries like you can give children choice but children like boundaries children like to know where they are at children like to know what's expected of them not freedom to just 
fail or freedom to just guess. That's yeah, not what yeah, they yeah. like. They like to know what's going on. And I think parenting, look, I'm not a parent. So, you know, I, I'm just speaking from the experiences I've had with the guardians and things that I've worked with and, you know, my own parents. But I think that that is it's the same in teaching. You know, much of what me and Matt do is a bit like parenting. We're giving children boundaries, clear boundaries, but space and freedom to succeed and experiment. And for me, that those things are what makes something successful and successful in all areas of life. Freedom within boundaries. It's like jazz music. Jazz music only works because there are boundaries and rules. And then there's this magnificent freedom that comes from that. But it doesn't work if you can just do anything and you don't have any of the, the bottom, the, you know, the foundational skills. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, any more, anything more to touch on with that thought, Matt? Was that accurate? No, what you Rage covered it. No, but it's... It, it, Rage covered it. Oh, boring. No, 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 it's, it's good. But, like, just to, just to follow up on that point, because I'm conscious that you two have seen a lot of kids progress in a very formative parts of their life and still have some touch points with these kids now on very kind of... Oh, Matt might have frozen. Um, on a kind of infrequent basis. So you may have seen the kind of manifestations of, you know, one parenting tactic versus another. Do you, does any kind of examples come to mind where you can see, you know, that, you know, the, the benefits and the fruits of, of one particularly good choice? For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, can I give you one example recently? Yes. Um, and so I recently, you know, put a lot of children through for exams and, um, and, you know, there were those parents that were really pushing for the exam, right? And it was all about getting the exam to apply for the scholarship. And there were those parents and guardians that were doing it because the child said, I'd really like to do that. I'd really like to have a go at that mum or dad or guardian. I'd really yeah, like yeah. to have a go. And the, the guardian had said to me, I don't mind what they do. Like, I really don't mind. But if that's what they want to do, I, do you mind if we do it? And I'm like, of course, that's great. You know, if, if they want to do it, I want to encourage that and nurture that. It was astonishing. I mean, astonishing to watch that, that play, right? And that, 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 that whole term I've just done is the basis of the talk I'm writing at the moment, right? Mm. So they record the exams. One ends up crying. The other one ends up coming out smiling and jumping around and saying she just had the best time doing it. The one that was jumping around having the best time came out with the highest score. Yeah, yeah. And the mum was just like, whatever, don't mind, don't care what happens, like whatever. And the other one was like, the other one said some extraordinary things. A um, couple of parents, a few parents said extraordinary things to me, you know, and I wish I could say exactly what was said, but I can't. <laughs> because <laughs> but it was, it was really interesting to me that when it's the parents or guardian driving the goal and driving what the child is doing, it's, I find it catastrophic. Yeah. Um, that's what I would say. And yeah, ultimately, it, it doesn't work. It's difficult, isn't it? Obviously, they, there's a lot of anxiety and stress for them because they might have a little more knowledge on the subject of the exam or um, uh, either a correct or false understanding of how important result is to their child's future and that you know heightens their anxiety and all that stuff and it's or maybe they did it when they were a child and they're just carrying that anxiety on yeah. um so it's 
it's a lot to unpick um but it, it certainly works best if you if if you can be that that guardian that is a lot more chilled about it and and be the the cheerleader rather than you know the internet internet doctor that's got their own theories um, yeah well the, the person who jumps to mind matt is um you know jacob collier's mum you know we, we watched the imagine documentary you know she had all the the knowledge in the world to kind of impose her ideas on him but it seems like what she was great at doing was creating the space and the curiosity and the interest which then led to his own want of you know that like that kid who wanted to do the exam that rachel's mentioned he just wanted to test and learn and play on his um on his mac software that he was given at the time and where he is now in terms of musical theory and knowledge and skill you can't get to by just being shoved through some exams you can't do that you know it's a different level of ability and also a different level of awareness you know the things that he has to say about you know being empathetic to other people or the music process or the value of music again you know you're not getting the average ultra successful kind of guild or whatever person saying the same stuff you know it just doesn't happen you know so it's like that's kind of the perfect example that's so brilliant and swings back to the whole issue of self-assurance because the bottom line is is that the guardian or parent needs to have a level of self-assurance about stepping back yeah, and yeah. saying I'm gonna let them just explore and experiment and see what they want to do and so for Susie she, Susie's wonderful like what a wonderful person and, and character and she's so nurturing to everyone around her and you know is 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 exactly the human you would expect her to be she's kind she's wonderful and it comes as no surprise that Jacob has made such a career for himself because she clearly created an environment where he felt like he wasn't being judged by her and wasn't being you know torn apart every time he tried something but rather like Matt said I love the word cheerleader like that's what we're trying to get everyone around our students to be is their cheerleader, not the judge, not the judge. We do that work. You know, we try and make it better. That's not what the parent or guardian should be doing. It's that they should be cheerleading. And if anyone is listening to this podcast that is a guardian or parent and wants to do the best for their child, all I can say is be your child's cheerleader. Don't do anything else. Like that is your job. Yeah, it's true because every child that we've ever taught, the first thing they do when they do something is they look behind them for some kind of validation, yeah, yeah. for some kind of, you know, did I do okay? And if someone goes... If, you, if you've got the brain space, be a, be a cheerleader for the other people in the room as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, but that's, that's when it that... really... I think that's, that's when our classrooms become magical, is when the guardians who are there start supporting the children that aren't, they aren't related to or aren't there to... Mm. To look after that's when the whole classroom shifts you a feeling shift and the whole momentum suddenly anything's possible you know it's it's leicester city football club suddenly and you just you've hacked the system and they'll do whatever you want because they've got all these all these people behind them just like going yeah keep going keep going that way no yeah but th and these are fabulous rules for you know whether you're a guardian of a child or not you know whether if you're a, a team manager in any any business anywhere positive feedback asking a really good question and inspiring people with external stuff 
you do those things every day, you're going to have self-assured, self-aware, highly capable, highly motivated people, you know, and how simple is that? You know, it's simple to say, and it's ultimately simple to do. The condition that it lacks often is that person's own self-awareness and self-assurance. Because if you're not self-aware or self-assured, or if you haven't had you know that demonstrated to you, the chance of you doing it goes down, despite how deceptively powerful and simple it, it is. Um, I think there's um, self-awareness sort of wrapped up in whether you are good at surrounding yourself with those people or or start to make a point of spending more time with those people. If you're being or being aware of relationships you have with people that are possibly more negative yeah. um, and draining, um, you know, they may be super important to your life, but you you may want to surround yourself with more people that that um, keep keep put help pushing you in the right direction or ask you the right questions or an accountability person and you know when you're doing exercise or trying to eat more healthily or reach some career goal or whatever it is um so that I think it's that's about discipline self-awareness yeah you need to be disciplined in self-awareness and disciplined in self-assurance and all of those things Um, I just wrote the term kind of self-investment because I think that is something that is also kind of extricated out of lots of educational processes or parent kind of uh, child relationships when actually it's so unbelievably essential for people's uh, later self-assurance and self-awareness. On NoWasteDays.io, the uh, pioneering digital journal that you could use uh, alongside this podcast, um, I try and give enough space to people's own sets of ideas and thoughts. It's not just my brain, my way of doing it laid down on a page. We've got this kind of year map where you can input your own values, your own reason for being, your own vision, your own quotes. I see that page as arguably the most essential because then you've created it. You've mapped out this landscape, which is distinctly your own, and you're investing in things that are key and very important to yourself um, not just important or relevant to somebody else and if I had taken that out of the app I don't think in time it would ultimately serve uh, its true purpose or be anywhere near as good yeah I think with, without that it, it has more danger of being a, a sort of um a, what's not efficiency a, a productivity planner yeah which it's not not think a bit bigger picture yeah yeah because because it's not about being a tool to being more productive as if as if everybody is not as happy as they could be because they're not doing as much you know often the opposite is true you're trying to fixate and believe that the doing will solve all your problems when actually as rachel touched on earlier as well some silence some presence some awareness these are roots to your greater happiness and contentment far more than just trying to do more but like i'm, I'm not really sure i've got the perfect end of all of these thoughts but i i how do you think people best instill uh, um or create a sense of self-investment in in other people because it's so easy for teachers just to kind of inculcate their ideas or you know say you should do this for x reason and not just inspire people's own sense of curiosity and investment in whatever there is that they're trying to do. I would have said it's it's all about metacognition and, and, and allowing children to work out their own process 
and yeah. why they're doing what they're doing without telling them why or how or what. So it's 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 inspiring and being a catalyst for journeying with them um, and getting them to use all of their senses, senses to understand something for themselves and not me telling them this is what it is. Yeah. Um, again, it's a process. Yeah, and, and I think that is basically the heart of it. It's important to me, I think, on this route to try and help people be more self-aware and self-aware that most people understand that having your own reason or, or deciding what life means to you is a key kind of condition to then moving through it with um you know more purpose more energy more joy versus saying oh, okay well it either doesn't have a meaning or the meaning is obviously you know this kind of like you know capitalist economic piece you know empowering people to think well what what does my time mean to me what does my life mean to me what do my relationships mean to me if people have an answer for those questions um I think that ladders up to them moving through life with more joy and more purpose um, because they've sort of created the landscape and the lens with which they view things versus, you know, devolving to somebody else's frame. So as someone that's trying to create a platform and a tool to help people, I want to give them enough of a skeleton, enough opportunity for discipline, but not deprive them of a sense of self-investment in what's going on. You know, it's and it's a funny little balance. It's a really weird balance. And I think that like as a woman in my mid thirties that is single and childless, my, my view on wanting those things is so skewed by society's views on what I should be doing yeah. that I said to my mum last week, I said, I don't know what I want. I don't know what it is that I want. Actually, do I want children? Do I, do I want to get married? Or am I so indoctrinated that I've, I've got lost with that and I think that what you're saying is is kind of that it's allowing people to sit back and go oh that's what I want <laughs> that's I, it's what I thought I wanted is actually not what I wanted it's what society wanted for me um yeah, yeah well like but that object well, this came up in the first podcast that degree of objectivity about your own needs and desires and joys is really really hard to come by you know if you're just using your brain and your eyes and your ears you know, like I, I gave this example in the first podcast that left to my own devices, I would constantly try and cram each day full of like a million things, like this perfect kind of web of different actions and activities. You know, that's what I would do left to my own devices. But having used my this journal thing for, you know, 800 odd days, I've seen too many instances where, you know, on a day, all I've done is go for a walk with my girlfriend, have an ice cream you know, and you get a, your top feeling score for that, you know, so therefore I know that some days just have to be focused on that level of clarity and simplicity. My brain alone would never, never let me do that. But I've seen it too many times now, this little bit of instant replay that that ladders up to a joyful day, you know, and, and that's, you know, why I think some of the tool can be valuable, but also that's a battle that everybody faces what are my joys what are my wants and needs and desires versus that of the weird values that society is kind of you know obligated me with yeah do you have to plan that rich do you write do nothing do nothing do nothing do nothing do nothing i know well I, I would just i would just write be present uh with um you know my pet name for mara's beauty so be present with beauty and that's that's the only mission of a day you know so, so cute. like you so know cute. And, but, Hi, 
I know, I know COVID was like a horrific time for so many people, but if I'm honest, it was one of the most revealing and magical times for me personally. And I know you guys had a wicked um, lockdown because it forced me into a life that I never would have allowed myself to do at this point in my career. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. forced me into being present and living in the countryside and walking every day and waking up late and because it was that was the life right and being forced into that yeah really opened my eyes to contentment on a totally different level like you're saying which I just it was it was shocking to me how content I was with with living yeah. like that we were we were given society Oh Matt, you you really like off, off, or I can't hear you for some reason. I can Rich. hear him. Oh no, sorry, that was just my uh, laptop deciding volume was didn't matter. <laughs> we're back. We're, we're we're back online. Yeah, I mean Hi, we Matt. were. It's the it was a monumental shift in how society functioned, and we were given the green light to not have a commute and still be trusted to get on with our jobs without repercussions because there was no other option. And it turned out. You know, guess what? Everything was fine in, you know, in terms of work getting done. Um, and it did allow so much more time for getting healthier routines and reading and sitting in fresh air and cooking your own food. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I think and then investing in friendships that were that, that mattered to you as well. Um, I think, Rach, that's when we started being more reflective on teaching with each other was over lockdown because we would have, and Rich, you probably remember that me and Rach would talk on the phone uh, a lot in that time because it was, because the teaching was a bit weird and a bit hard, but also we just, like, we became a bit fascinated with it and discussing um, how it was going. And I think after that, we've continued that in person these summer holidays that that we have as teachers we you know we often fill it with other work as well but um often having a week where i'm not even on holiday or i'm just in the house resetting and fitting in more like was i was able to in the in that those times during covid is super important um and yeah well as a as a mindset shift from society but also as an opportunity to live differently you know like it's it's some kind of Instagram kind of witticism or like wisdom, but it's like the, you see different videos of people going, well, I wasn't actually depressed or anxious. I just hadn't been out in the sun or I hadn't been for a walk or I hadn't taken a deep breath. You know, the, 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 the line between feeling pretty miserable and feeling pretty lovely is so like people straight this boundary looks so closely and it and as Rachel said it can be the difference between having gone for a walk in the morning and felt the sun in your face you know mm. that that one decision you know can change everything I'm feeling a bit anxious now I feel like I need to sell my flat in London and move to the countryside like I'm <laughs> getting that all of a sudden like I've made the wrong decision why have I bought a flat in London um <laughs> but it is but it is interesting and it and it and it's it's well, we could get into all sorts of topics now on depression and anxiety, but it it is massively uh, intriguing to me that that time I felt my least depressed and anxious, and I wasn't filled. My time wasn't filled with stuff. I was very present and I was very calm and I was very quiet, um, which was really fascinating to me. But I don't really want to live with my mum for the rest of my life, even though I love her dearly. 
I don't think also drinking Prosecco at five o'clock every day um, is something that should be, I don't know. Maybe, I, don't I don't know. know. <laughs> Test it. Use, use your note. Yeah, exactly. Use your No Wasted Days journal. Um, I'll, I'll have to obligate you to sign up to it and just stick it in every day. Because if, if your joy really relates to a couple of glasses of Prosecco every afternoon, then, you know, who who am I to say that you shouldn't do that? Or... <laughs> yeah, as long as you're not teaching afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah but it, like... it gave us a lot more time, Rich, didn't it? To make, you know, to create community with our neighbors and everything and it's amazing how now i'm back to the 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 real life of getting on the bus and every day and traveling and blah 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 that that those relationships whilst they're still very strong because of the covid time that we're back to very infrequent hangouts with the neighbors because you just it, yeah everybody's doing more things it's and you it, it's just become less of a priority again it's quite sad in a way yeah and then it's yeah yeah you say it in in objective terms no wonder it was so good for us we were able to create a loving local community we were able to spend so much time with people that we loved i.e each other we were able to invest more in creative projects and ideas you know and have less weird um kind of you know economic expectations or job things so no wonder it was good despite all of the, the you know the negatives and the weirdness and whatever you know in it tells you that those three or four conditions are very very important the amount we achieved every week was insane we were actually doing a lot more stuff yeah um, yeah like i don't i'm not sat here today you know albeit with you know I'm not saying what I'm doing is successful, but I don't get from a point where I have no coding or software ability to having built a fully functioning web application that is designed to help people feel more self-assured and self-aware without that time to just incubate. Like, I think I did a data science course during the lockdown, you know, some other stuff that really I would have been starved of the time of doing and would have not necessarily prioritized in my spare time to the same degree had it not been for for that moment, despite the fact that that was going to allow me to be more authentically, more authentically myself and more creative and happier, you know, I would have found a way to suffocate that, you know. Yeah. But taking the time or having that freedom is not an option for everybody and certainly not no. a financial option for everybody. So it's, it's not necessary, can't necessarily be advice, can it? To no the device isn't you know you have that much time but it's probably to you know you have to you know we, we've come to this in every podcast as well prioritize pleasure know what brings you joy and prioritize it because you know your boss isn't necessarily going to help you do that or even sometimes your relationships and friendships are, are going to make it difficult to do that but it's essential for your own sense of well-being and purpose and progress to just find that know what it that your joys are and prioritize them you know that's essential on your on no waste of days there's a a thing of finding your a, a little process for sort of helping to write your values out right yes, um, it is, yeah do you have processes or reading recommendations for how to really know what your joy is because a lot of no. it is other people's joy or maybe you get joy from other people's joy but you know that's quite complicated and um i certainly have loads of really wonderful friends um who are not 
in the music world at all. Um, all of, basically all of my close friends outside of work uh, are, are not musicians. And it means that I don't end up doing a lot of music outside of um, life. And it, that hit me, uh, you know, a lot later maybe than I should have thought about it, that really I wanted to have more music again in my life with with friends, you know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, no, right. me, Joy, was hanging out and going to the pub and having nice friends, but I hadn't really thought about it in terms of Joy specific to me, you know. Yeah, my thought at the moment is that if you can articulate your vision and your values, and I do, I'm creating a process for helping people think about their reason for being. If you've got those three things, hopefully you'll, you know, map those into your daily kind of plan with more clarity. But also, obviously, in the insights page on No Wasted Days, you get to see you know, how much of what you did when you um, said you were going to do something that you actually did or how you felt, you know, when you had certain types of days. So, you know, you, you can use that as a way of kind of, you know, interrogating. OK, well, I, I really thought on that day I was going to do X and I found a way to not do it at all. What does that mm. say about what it means to me, you know, you know, versus other things where I have said I was going to do it? and done it or conversely things that I've not said I was going to do but ended up doing anyway what what does this actually say about you know how you enjoy relative you know different things I mean maybe there could be a, at some point things where each task has its own joy score as well of you know yeah each moment that you completed to some certain level did that bring you any joy and it might be no it was just a task that I needed to do um, and doing it relieved me of stress or anxiety or something but yeah well the, the thing I'm trying to obsess over what is that what is the minimum viable dose of data or kind of you know intervention to help people just use their brains more clearly you know I I'm reluctant to try and flood the the thing with loads of extra data inputs that you know require more of somebody or more kind of like aggregated kind of AI machine learning recommendations because I think if you our brains are just like phenomenal tools for thinking creatively and aggregating our memories and remembering how we felt. We just need to give them a bit more support in the doing of that, you know, and I think the format I've created to this point, you know, plus or minus perhaps a few, critically some experiences, but maybe a few data points here or there or some different questions here or there are like fertile ground. They are the environment that somebody needs to help think more easily about themselves. You know, the arguably the most important bit is the the memories I want to capture from today are, you know, because if you just jot down those five or six things, whatever they are, a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, when you come to look at them in, you know, six months hence, you remember far more about that day than just what you've written down. This these are the, that's that information you're accessing is sat in the back of your brain somewhere, even if it can't access it on a daily basis. It takes the little prompt and the the you know. The feeling about you know how one day actually felt exactly to, to, to make you think about what brings you joy you know it's it's a slightly kind of longer route to that to to the idea of learning what your joy is but it's a powerful one because once you've again back to self-investment once you've gone through that loop of like you know seeing the signals thinking for yourself having some observations and then testing them because you go oh, actually i think ah oh, now nah, i think that's what brings me joy 
And then you plot it into a future day and you see it either really does or really doesn't. And you're like, oh, OK, you know, you, you're on this constant, like nice little happy feedback cycle with yourself. Um, and, you know, I think that's the route that certainly that's been true of my experience. I can't say that will be true of every user or whatever, but like that seems to be how it works for me. It's a really interesting one. I think that um, I think I've been living very much like here and then here and then here and then here. And it's like I'm going to block out a week's holiday and that will be my pure joy. And actually, it just doesn't work like that, does it? Because yeah, yeah. You, you block it out and then I spend like three days being depressed and overwhelmed and tired and having breakdowns three days. because I'm so tired and then start to enjoy having some time off. But then I start feeling lazy and then and then I'm back at work. And um, but equally, it's about, you know, it's about reminding people that it's OK to find joy and fulfillment in your job. And I think especially when, you know, we are doing something very vocational, that joy doesn't need to be a disassociation with that. Um, like Matt was saying, like music making, I think sometimes can feel like, oh, that's part of my job. But actually making music with friends is not our job. You know, we can do that and it can be. And I was just thinking, oh, Matt, I need to come over to yours. I'm interested to play some duets. Um, but, you know, there's, there's something really powerful in, in the acknowledgement of I can find joy. Like after this, I, I need to write a, a talk and I, I, I will sit down and I will enjoy doing it because I feel rested and I feel find joy in investigating without yeah. the pressure. I'm not writing a talk for anything specific other than I know that I'm going to concoct some concoct some stuff. Right. So yeah. I will just deliver some some new things. But I think there's a little bit of um what's the word um, people I think people try and separate the two too much right it's like this is work and this is play but actually the two the two can be entwined no, I, okay. com I completely agree like we definitely all have joys that are distinct to us or particular interests but the idea that everything else can't be inherently joyful playful mindful you know is is you know is a, is a unnecessary kind of delineation to make but you know what do we get told so much of the time you know it's like work hard play hard like they're two different things or you know some kind of axiom where work is of one importance play is of a different kind and they're not the same when actually like, I find it super powerful to see everything as play you know whether it's um you know a reporting output in my job or a presentation or this or everything's playful everything you know, I just need to do mindfully and playfully and whether it's the washing up or you know this or anything else I'm going to get maximum joy from it that I possibly can, you know. My opinion, please. I'd like that. I need yeah. To well, you should see my little feeling score on my No Wasted Days is like very <laughs> consistent. And I've always been fascinated by, you know, talking to users where perhaps it was a little bit more kind of like peaks and troughs, whereas mine is kind of weirdly kind of like the, the variance is so small, you know, every day more or less. Like we've had a few tough days recently traveling like we've tried to adopt a dog and it's you know been difficult for one reason or another to do and it's like but still you know if you attack even those issues playfully mindfully calmly you know your chance of feeling pretty good as best you can is, is still pretty good it's never going to be quite like you know these certain peak moments or days or joys or relationships or whatever but it you're going to get maximum joy and calmness and stuff that was there you know yeah no, that's really, really interesting. And I think that um, finding joy in, I think, but it's a mindset thing. It's a mindset. Yeah. And me and Matt really challenge each other on this in our jobs, you know, and 
I'll start complaining about something and Matt will just be like, remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Remember this, Rachel, remember that. And we started started having this in-joke that um, we decided that if one of us would text a complaint to the other, we would text the word wine as a reminder that, you know, don't wine, but also drink wine. Um, But, you know, let's celebrate the good stuff rather than just talk about the negative and it has well, I think we've really changed that haven't we in our in our team and started to celebrate way more what's going well as opposed to constantly commenting and getting you know stuck in the stuff that isn't working and um yeah it's made the job lighter and easier I think yeah and no wonder because like you know if you or at least in my own life anything that I find myself about to go well complain you know yeah. whining, whining about something I try and as quickly as possible and obviously sometimes that time is this small sometimes it's that large you know see it as actually it's just an opportunity for more play for more exploration for more growth you know and, and it's these things come thick and fast a when you're traveling and b when you're trying to you know build a platform with a, a podcast and other stuff because you share things often and you know they don't reach that many people you know, but I'm far better off going, okay, well, why did, why did that not work very well? Or, or, or how can I make this better? You know, this is a playful, you know, growth mindset versus a go, ah, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> why, why is nobody watching and listening to my clearly saged wisdom? Um, <laughs> you know, like, you know, which, which is going to ladder up to a better performance and success and, and more happiness to me was well, it's, it's pretty obvious. You know, that and the old glass of wine, obviously, is, uh, you know, it's perfect combo. I think, I think you know, and everybody's maybe capable of that, that playful mindset at times, but maintaining yeah. requires people around you that with a similar um, approach or that you've asked them to back you up in those things. Oh, yeah. They don't even necessarily need to, to, to do it themselves the whole time, but it, you, you, you aren't necessarily going to be strong enough to... To maintain that without um without friends that help support no. that no you need to think intimately about how you create the environment and the mindset that's that of which that comes easily it shouldn't you shouldn't have to contort the very last of your willpower to have a slightly wise or you know uh, calm-minded thought you know you should have you know done things earlier in the day that are conditions to that and also have you know a little accountability team and obviously you guys are a peak example about that someone who's just going to remind you of what your best brain does when left to its own devices and to think wisely you know versus who it might be you know when you're stressed or tired or aggravated or angry or whatever you know who's going to help you just you know come back to the moment be nice and balanced and and calm big things that really winds me up about what the current world we live in is this idea of everyone has to be happy and positive all the time yeah. and it's like so unauthentic and also is really crushing to um who we are and so it's finding the balance between being honest and also not getting swamped in the negative stuff that actually drains us of our resources. Um, so that's why I love what you're doing, because I think there's a, there's, a, there's, there's a huge element of honesty, authenticity and reflection um, and challenge in it as well. 
Yeah, I don't think, I don't think people realise. Like I'm, uh, I, I'm not about to voice this as an expert, but I think the Gabor Mate is that a name? Love that? him. Yeah. yeah, like he he has written a lot and has talked a lot about the cost of that inauthenticity, particularly as it relates to the positive side. If you're pretending everything is positive or everything is fine, you there's a kind of untold like physical cost that you pay to doing that you know I've thought about that a lot myself because I can sometimes be guilty of being a bit like you know stoic or thoughtful and sometimes I'm suppressing my instinctive reaction when I do that you know so what I've learned to do and referring to somebody else you know Stephen Peters who is a kind of sports psychologist best known for his work with British cycling he wrote a very good book called The Chimp Paradox. Love that book. And if there's one thing I re- retain from that is I give myself license to let my chimp, you know, run loose for a bit and yeah. then put him back. Because I know that that's, you know, it's, it's sort of fun to do. Um, but also it's sort of like, um, it's I know it's healthy for me in the in the aggregate. You know, and I'll say this to Mara sometimes because my girlfriend can sometimes be a bit um, annoyed that I have these very kind of stoic reactions to things. Um, and she was like, well, what's your real reaction? And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. my, my, my stoic reaction is my real reaction. I've learned that that's a wise, thoughtful approach. But also I say, well, f- f- my chimp reaction was, oh, that person was an absolute knob for doing that. <laughs> you know, and, you know, they were terrible, blah, 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 blah. You know, so I'll get it out of my system, even though I know it's not actually my my truest thought, my most singular thought. But I know my chimp is always going to get to a... Um, an emotional reaction first and I shouldn't always suppress it and pretend like it wasn't a thing it's interesting if you have you um heard of the new play at the National Theatre Dear England no no I've been in the yeah Southgate right oh yeah. okay yeah I think I might have seen that but who hasn't been? seen it by the way Gareth Southgate actually hasn't seen this but oh. it's it's I went to see it um and it's absolutely about what we're talking about it's about oh, yeah. The idea that um, for a long time, the England team, you know, were just going, 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 and and things were not working. And, you know, Southgate comes in and he gets in a psychologist. And suddenly the guys are are, are encouraged to talk about who they are, about their feelings, about their backgrounds, about where they came from, and and suddenly created a new thing. And it didn't, it wasn't suddenly like they became super successful, but they were dealing with the fallout so much better. And so I was really excited to see it because I think that it shows that there is a shift going on. There is a shift happening in the world um, where the the character of someone is is far more important than the outcome, which we spoke about before. Um, and also um, the idea that, you know, of Gabor Mate, you know, not suppressing, you know, and I know that there is a, there is probably a difference between men and women in this area. I can only speak as a woman, um, but um I think it's really fascinating. And I think what you're doing, Rich, is actually offering a platform for people to, to be transparent about that stuff, um, which, is, which is really great and something really, really special. I'm, I'm certainly trying, but like it's a, <laughs> the, 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 the football thought and the, and the kind of Gareth Southgate time in England, uh, you know, analogy is pretty relevant because yeah, he's clearly created a far more progressive, valuable uh, culture and environment in the England team and its relationship with the media than has existed perhaps ever, you know. But if they don't win or reach some new plateaus of success in some way, 
people just fob it off as a another kind of you know ah well cheers gareth we'll we'll get in some foreign manager now who's going to help us win you know yeah and i I think i've thought for a long time of true success is that marriage of uh you know human connection and positive kind of transcendent culture with the performance aspect taboo and i often draw it and i might even do some sick little edit to this as like a um, as like a diamond as like a diamond so if you're in charge of a team and everybody dislikes each other and you can't win or achieve your goal or purpose, then you should just quit. You know, you are clearly a negative influence in this whole space. So that's at the bottom of the little diamond. And then just over here, it's actually not easy to point your pen at a camera. Um, on here is the side where you've, you're highly connected. You've got a great culture. Everybody loves each other and wants to play for each other, but you can't win. You, you can't find a way to achieve your objective in mind and you know like that our would make... side team rich yeah well we we made a few finals if it wasn't for that <laughs> radical hailstorm that one time and us not having any boots on you know that we might we might have been a bit better off um but what yeah is like... medieval football sorry <laughs> you know it was a little bit medieval um yeah so on this side of the diamond you know you'd cry because you'd you were so connected, but you couldn't win and you'd be so frustrated. On the other side of the diamond um, is where you you can win, but everybody hates each other. You, you're great at doing the performance piece, but the culture's not there. And personally, that would make me sick that we've found so we've been so good at achieving the outcome, but there's no transcendent relationships. There's no loving connection. There's no nothing. But what that means is that at the top of the diamond is when you get both of those things to tick along together. That's true success in my in my mind you know in any kind of group setting and i think people are way too obsessed with achieving just on the performance level and way too easy to scoff at people who are great at the culture piece but can't make them win you know and and i think if everybody knew that true success was the you know the apex between those two points you know they would look at things slightly more contemplatively you're so honestly me and matt have been having this conversation a lot recently because in teaching what that looks like is you've got the idea of youth voice, right? Which is really, really important, okay? And is something that we should be prioritizing. What what does the young person want? What does the young person care about, right? And what are the more holistic elements that we can be improving upon to give them better experience and, you know, give them better joy in in, in their education um, journey? But the other aspect of that on your, say, your diagram on your diamond is that, well, we need to have some success, right? And success looks like in our culture right now, maybe to pass an exam or to, but also just to produce quality, to produce excellence. And at the moment, me and Matt are in this battle where we think sometimes the youth voice is being prioritised so much so that it's being used as an excuse for a lack of quality. And that's a huge problem. It's like, well, yeah, but I had youth voice. Yeah, but the quality is dreadful. That's not an yeah. excuse. But that's not an excuse for producing poor quality. It should be elevating what is already there, not suppressing quality. So, and it's we're talking about, like you say, finding the balance between those two things all the time. Yeah, and it's really hard to try and achieve that point as one person. You know, really, really difficult. But you can certainly build a team where some people are really good at getting excellence out of people in a very traditional sense. And some people are brilliant at creating the environment. And, you know, and and you hopefully have some kind of overriding kind of values or vision or purpose that helps people kind of really focus on, you know, playing those roles to achieve that end. 
you know um you know but it's possible the idea that they're a zero-sum game either oh you've got hyper-connected people who love each other and want to transcend the experience together or you and you lose or you win and everyone thinks everybody else is a twat you know it's, it's not you can have you can max out on both of those things it is possible absolutely and 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 i think that um as teachers and as human beings that's the balance we need to meet is the element of choice and it, like we talk about in in music education we talk a lot about excellence not perfectionism mm, there yeah. should be a standard held and there should be something really good that comes from it but it doesn't need to be perfect but it needs to have it's worth it needs to hold worth yeah, yeah. um also i think we do our children such a disservice when we're like oh it doesn't really matter how it sounds yeah. it doesn't matter how it sounds it really matters children are not stupid they know yeah. when something's dreadful um yeah, yeah. Well, it, it matters because it's to some degree a condition for perpetual enjoyment you know yeah um, exactly because if you, if you if it constantly sounds naff you know it's you're wondering if you're progressing you wonder if you're growing you know, I mean, they've you, got to go home and practice on their own in a room and be have the skills to be aware of. Yeah, know what the standard is. Yeah, what what to work on, what needs um, work, and how to work on that. And it's just blanket saying it's great is useless. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think it's so true. Particularly true of the violin. From what Matt has told me a million times, not straightforward to make a nice sound at all. You know, you can plonk a piano key. I'm stealing Matt's wisdom now, but you can hit a key on, on a tuned piano and it's going to sound basically fine. You, you can't put a bow to a string on a violin and it will inherently sound good. You need great motor skills, great technique and great practice to make even just a, a, a salient good sound. Except I argue with you about that because I think... <laughs> oh, hello. <that> Debate. <laughs> No, 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 simply because I think, you know, I, I, I agree with Matt, of course, and I agree with what you've just said. Um, but we also understand that there, there is a huge, because of that's what we assume, right? We assume that the violin is really hard and therefore no child can make a nice sound early on. But when you take away all the complexity and you boil it down to what is, what how, you know, what is a violin? It's just a resonant, it's a ringing string, right? And so when, it, but it's about how we teach that to students and we say, this simple sound on a violin. This is what this is what a resonant sound is, and this is what we want you to do when you use your bow. And you're just matching a very simple pizzicato sound, right? If you pluck the instrument, you get a resonant sound. That's what all we're doing when we're playing is we're extending that to the bow, and and in teaching, but in everything we do, if we we take away the kind of assumptions made about something and we boil it down to the very simple act of something, yeah. then we teach in a very different way, and then me and Matt always teach from the start that tone is something that a child can do in the first lesson. Producing good tone can happen in lesson one because good tone is simply the resonance of an instrument, which is just a simple pizzicato on the string. So what I'm saying is, it's all about perception and assumptions and stripping that back um, and making sure that we're not laying those onto the students we're, we're, we're working with. Yes, it's really hard. Yes, you can't do that for a while. No, you won't be able to make a nice sound for a while. It's really no, like... I, I I think you're, you're often, it's, often the kids on. don't need any don't need any convincing. It's the the guardians or or other people in the room that are, are wondering when are they going to do this or what what's that's you know what hard is on on that instrument. Um, that they're not sure, but when you if you have the if you can convince them of 
of that resonance and quality of sound stuff um to focus on that rather than what the next piece is and how hard the piece is um then you know they're going to be able to make anything sound beautiful um from from an open string to to twinkle twinkle and and onwards yeah yeah well i i i think you you couldn't have been more right to mention this kind of broader assumptions piece because again i think it's it's something people don't do enough of acknowledge what assumptions are being made in a in a space in a team at a moment in time because often you'll you'll be fighting against them or you'll be uh, misdirected by them by not saying them out loud being honest to them and or you know killing them where where necessary like i've learned to do it a lot in my job you know in kind of advertising where people will say things as if they are insights and i'll go is that is that an assumption or an insight you know yeah. and it's not it's not trying to interrogate them or put them on the spot but i want to know because the information they're giving me is creating my own personal environment for success so if they're telling me something is an insight when actually it's an assumption and that assumption is wrong then i'm going to do something that's less ultimately valuable or impactful and it's actually a really good disarming question you know you, you can't really ask too much because the assumptions and insights on which you build a, a lesson plan or a, a vision for the year or whatever are, are the foundation and you don't want that to be a foundation made of of sand you know that crumbles away with just the lightest interrogation or whatever it's yeah. a really good useful question for yourself or for any kind of team trying to achieve something i like that insight or assumption yeah have someone that you talk to after a day's work where when they say how was your day you don't say fine you you tell them not with tons of emotion just like reflect reflect on that work day and then ask them to do the same and you don't need to do anything else your brain will do the rest of the the figuring out after that but you know just saying some of those thoughts out loud it's a bit like filling in a no wasted days but to a human you know absolutely yeah. And we do that fairly often, don't we, Rach? Um, I was going to say, you said with no, like, no, lo not loads of emotion, but mine is often like absolute sobs and giggles <laughs> and everything in between. And yours is a bit yeah. way more straightforward and like, you know, reined in. Mine's just an absolute shitstorm. I'm normally on like a busy train. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you just live much more in a plateau and I live on like the depths <laughs> of crazy all the time. So... I can't underestimate the value of questions. Like oh, that's yeah, yeah. what I want to make it really clear that questions are questions over answers every time. Questions over answers every time. And I mean that when I'm teaching, I mean that when I'm with my colleagues, I mean that for myself. Um, and also before working out or trying to understand better what happened in your day is celebrate what worked. Like that is ultimately, and I think me and Matt have really got that nailed. It's like, we'll say Matt is Matt. I think, if you don't mind me saying, but Matt never used to tell me the stuff that was working. He never used to say oh, really? the stuff that was working. He would be the first one to say, I would like to do this better or that better. But now we'll absolutely freely send me things that are working so well and celebrating those things way before going, well, it didn't work. Um, and I think that that's really powerful and celebrating with people you love and trust and people that are not going to tear your self-assurance down or your 
confidence or but rather celebrate it and and be there with you along for the ride um but also help pick up the pieces when it's not working so well no, so it's, it's finding people you trust it's unbelievably powerful um you know that that little format of positive negative inside your control outside your control i shared earlier i've been using as kind of like a little debrief format with my team at work a lot and one of the best parts of it is when i they fill it out for themselves first but then the times where i can look at their positive and in control column and come up with two or three other things that i thought they did actually do that they've not given themselves credit for that's arguably the most because suddenly you know there's going to be some constructive thoughts to come but they they sit up in the seat oh, they take a deep breath you yeah know, it's, it's like they, the whole piece just relaxes a lot and then you've got an open mind and an open heart to okay but we could have done x y and z or whatever you know the constructive piece um, but do you know what if that's a really important point to, to kind of think about and fit, kind of finish on is that we, as well as being responsible for um, challenging ourselves to work out what's working, right? Challenging ourselves to consider what's working before we question what's not working. It's to find it in other people because that's what makes the world go round in a better and, and, and faster way. Like I, some lady served me at the pharmacy and in front of me, there was this, this, this blind lady and she, was, she spent like 20 minutes trying to help her, right? 20 minutes. And she was so patient and so wonderful. And the woman behind me said to me, oh, she's taken 20 minutes. And I said, this lady's struggling. I said, you know, it's it's really great that this lady's helping. Her. Anyway, she got around to serving me and I said, you're so good at your job. You're so good. And she was just like, thank you so much. I've only just started. And like you say, like suddenly like, everything posture changed. And she was just like, and I thought, yeah. And then that is, you know, that will perpetuate something else, you know? And, yeah, and, yeah. and, and so it's, what I'm saying, it's our responsibility to do it to others. It's descriptive praise, it's real praise based off things that are happening. And that's earlier I talked about, you know, that sort of fake, just general praise that just gets thrown around. It's just, it, we, need the, we need the useful, real stuff. Um, and I think people struggle to take praise because it's often a mix of things that are not really real. Um, but, and then sometimes people will say something that is really true and you're not quite ready for it because you're so used to just being like, nah, it's not, you're just saying stuff and it's hard to take. But um, I think descriptive praise is so important. 